All right, we are ready to start in on Jeremiah 44 through 47 today and pretty excited um, to go through this and I have already called reading chapter 45, so sorry ladies, that one's for me because it's the least amount of work and as you can see and I hope sympathize, my voice is struggling today, so I'm going to take the easy route. All right, hot takes for 40. Four through 47 I'll get us started um, I so 44 in particular uh, I just I mean I feel like the theme of this is just banging your head against the wall because it just it, it is so sad but it is so frustrating um, the stubborn the level of stubbornness here for the Israelites and um, and just the extent to which they not just have forgotten but have completely turned their backs toward God and that is just maddening um, to me and I can't imagine you know what that would be for the creator of the universe to have walked through um, but Jeremiah as is his custom is doing all that he can to try to bring the people back so that's my general summary of the section. Um, that's what stood out to me the most out of all the chapters. Elizabeth, what about for you? Yeah, I thought that uh, 46 and 47 were interesting because uh, just all through Jeremiah, it's God punishing his people for their rebellion. And he's already, uh, Jeremiah's already pronounced judgment on Babylon. And so here we see that Egypt and the Philistines, none of the other sinful nations around them is going to go unpunished. So God is always going to deliver justice both on his people and on other people, even if he's using those other surrounding nations to bring justice on the Israelites, which is really cool. Yeah. Sherry? Um, so I was thinking about this and what, what I would come away with uh, generally from this and um, what I kept coming back to was um, while I was reading all these chapters I kept thinking okay this language is I've heard this somewhere else mm -hmm. um, and so I went to my book on the Old Testament um, uh, structure literary structure and so it seems to me like, and particularly like when, when, when you read chapter 45, which seems like, why is that there? Mm -hmm. um, but I really think it's there for a reason. I don't think it was just thrown in there. Um, just like I don't think that the book of Jeremiah is haphazard. I think it's got a structure. It's just hard to tell what the structure is. Right. Um, because we think of things being structured in a linear way chronologically and it's not mm -hmm. um, and it's not even really grouped together like themes or like periods of time or anything like that but it does have a structure that's more symmetrical like the beginning you know, so it's an A B C D C B A mm -hmm. um, structure so at, at the end uh, and we're coming close to the end of the book it's starting to sound like what it sounded like at the beginning of the book uh, even though, like um, uh, Elizabeth was saying, that you know we've been talking about the destruction of of Judah uh, this whole time, and now 
or t- starting to talk about the destruction of the of other nations, it's kind of a similar language. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, for instance, where this um, message to Baruch in chapter forty-five, I think is a mirror image of earlier in the book when when he gives the message. And so you have the general structure of the book of Jeremiah, but then within it you have other literary structures, kind of like the general the general like we look at Psalm one nineteen for instance. Mm-hmm. Like yes it has a general structure, goes through the Hebrew alphabet. Right. But then within each one of those there's a structure. Mm-hmm. So and it might be might be the same or it might be different. Um, so so I think within this section, we're coming to the end of this section, which started with Baruch reading doing the writings and and reading them to the to the king, and then ends with with God saying what He says to Baruch at that time. Mm-hmm. So it didn't happen at that time, or it, it it happened at that time. It didn't happen at the time that it's put in there. Right. But does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So so because the whole book was written after all this stuff happened. Right. Um, so um, so we see similar language, like, and I'm sorry to make this so long, but we see similar language going back to the beginning. I, I actually went back and read chapters 1 through 12, and mm-hmm. it sounds a lot of the same language like it is now. It's like uh, language is about um, uh, depictions of battle scenes, uh, horses, trumpets, alarms, swords, chaos, um, things like that. And... Um, uh, disaster coming down from the north, mm-hmm. and um, and then even like phrases like um, falsely swearing to God, saying as the Lord lives. That that's in chapter forty four, verse twenty six. It's also in chapter five, verse two. Same exact thing. Yeah, they're swearing falsely, saying as the Lord lives, and then t- and then saying a lie, mm-hmm. um, which is taking God's name in vain and swearing falsely. So um, that's those are the things that I took away from it. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> All right, well, we'll jump in 46 uh, to kind of give you a taste of what's coming up. And I really appreciate this. But again, uh, your addition, Sherry, to the the structure um, is very beneficial, I feel like, in keeping the context and keeping it all in in its proper place. Um, And I feel like, uh, for me personally, will be especially beneficial going through it, you know, uh, second, third, fourth, fifth time to see more of that um, in the additional readings because as with all scripture but there are books in particular that I feel like um, that really shine in that kind of uh, category of you you get so much more every additional read that you go through and I feel like Jeremiah is just a wonderful example of that um, that there's just so much more with every read through Um, so anyway appreciate you bringing that out okay uh, 44 I am going to beat up on Elizabeth because she's not my elder and so (laughs) anyway I'm going to make her read 44 and then we'll walk through that All right. the word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt, at Migdal, at Toponese, at Memphis, and in the land of Pathros. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem and upon the cities of Judah. 
Behold, this day they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them, because of the evil that they committed, provoking me to anger, in that they went to make offerings and serve other gods that they knew not, neither they nor you nor your fathers. Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants, the prophets, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn away from, to turn from their evil and make no offerings to other gods. Therefore, my wrath and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they became a waste and a desolation as at this day. And now thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, infant and child, from the midst of Judah, leaving you no remnant? Why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you have come to live, so that you may be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the evil of your fathers, the evil of the kings of Judah, the evil of their wives, your own evil, the evil of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? They have not humbled themselves, even to this day, nor have they feared, nor walked in my law and my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will set my face against you for harm, to cut off all Judah. I will take the remnant of Judah, who have set their faces to come to the land of Egypt to live, and they shall all be consumed. In the land of Egypt they shall fall, by the sword and by famine they shall be consumed. From the least to the greatest, they shall die by the sword and by famine, and they shall become an oath, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt, as I have punished Jerusalem with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah, who have come to live in the land of Egypt, shall escape, or survive, or return to the land of Judah, to which they desire to return to dwell there. For they shall not return except some fugitives." Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods, and all the women who stood by, a great assembly of all the people who lived in Pathros in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah, As for the word which you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you, but we will do everything that we have vowed, make offerings to the Queen of Heaven, and pour out drink offerings to her, as we did, both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food, and prospered, and saw no disaster. But since we left off making offerings to the Queen of Heaven, and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything, and have been consumed by the sword and famine. And the women said, When we made offerings to the Queen of Heaven, and poured out drink offerings to her, was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes for her, bearing her image, and poured out drink offerings to her? Then Jeremiah said to all the people, men and women, all the people who had given him this answer, As for the offerings that you offered in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your officials, and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them? Did it not come into his mind? The Lord could no longer bear your evil deeds and the abominations that you committed. Therefore, your land has become a desolation and a waste and a curse without inhabitant as it is to this day. It is because you made offerings and because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law and in his statutes and in his testimonies 
that this disaster has happened to you as at this day. Jeremiah said to all the people and all the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You and your wives have declared with your mouths and have fulfilled it with your hands, saying, We will surely perform our vows which we have made to her, to make offerings to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings to her. Then confirm your vows and perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be invoked in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, As the Lord God lives, behold, I am watching over them for disaster and not for good. All the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end of them. And those who escape the, sh the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, few in number. And all the remnant of Judah who came to the land of Egypt to live shall know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. This shall be the sign to you, declares the Lord, that I will punish you in this place, in order that you may know that my words will surely stand firm against you for harm. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies, and into the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who was his enemy and sought his life. Okay, thank you. All right, Sherry, would you mind walking us through the narrative there? Okay, um, so the word of the Lord comes to Jer Jeremiah, and, and we're kind of continuing uh, historically along the same line. They've, they've gone to Egypt uh, Jer at Jeremiah's... Um, uh, not at Jeremiah's request, but uh, against Jeremiah's advice that they should stay in the land. Mm -hmm. um, it appears that they have taken him with them, um, not that he has gone voluntarily. Um, uh, so they're in the land of Egypt. Uh, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah while he is there. Um, the, the mention of the cities, Migdal, Tophanes, Memphis, uh, Pathros, uh, Pathros, and I think they're mentioned later too. These are cities that are in the eastern part of Egypt, closer to um, to Israel, um, not north and south wise, but east and west wise. And uh, I, I, I said this last time I looked at Topanes is actually fairly close to Goshen. Mm -hmm. And so it's right in that same area where they came out of slavery, and now here they are back in the same place. Um, and that's important. It's important to note where the, the cities are because um, um, there's a there's a um, people who would um, who would take Jeremiah to task on this prophecy um, about Egypt being destroyed when uh, Babylon didn't literally come and take all of Egypt. Mm -hmm. um, but he did come and take these cities. Mm -hmm. um, it, there's not a mention of it in, in uh, the Bible, but uh, in secular history we have Babylon conquering parts of the Nile Valley in 567, which was after this prophecy. This, was, this, this prophecy was around in the early 580s. Mm -hmm. Um, after they were after they fled to Egypt, um, but then um, uh, 
Babylon did come and conquer part of Egypt at that point. Now later, Cyrus came in and took all of Egypt. And so um, critics would say, well, it wasn't Babylon. It was Cyrus. It was the Persians. But actually, Babylon did come and take part of Egypt and that part that, uh, that the Jews were in. So, uh, uh, so it, it did happen. Um, and, it, and that dealt a fairly serious blow to Egypt, although it didn't overtake them completely at that point. It was pretty. It was pretty serious. It was yeah. a pretty serious blow, and it was to punish those people. It right. wasn't to punish the Egyptians, um, uh, but it was specifically to punish those Jews who had fled to Egypt. Mm-hmm. But Egypt got caught up in that as well, and um, in fact. It's interesting that he says um, in verse 8 that they would become a curse uh, and a taunt. So basically, they were supposed to be a blessing to the nations. Right. Um, Abraham's seed was supposed to be a blessing to the nations. but So all nations through Abraham's seed are blessed. But at this point, the Egyptians are cursed because the Jews are there. Mm-hmm. So... This is a complete turnaround from what they were supposed to be. They were supposed to be a blessing to the nations around them. That good things would happen to the area around them because they were there. Well, now they're a curse. So, um, uh, and other people around them would say, uh, "These Jews being around us, not good. It's a curse. <laughs> right. It's a bad omen that they're here." Um, and so, which is exactly the opposite of what God had intended them. Um, then in verse 15, uh, it talks about the, how the women were in bed, uh, were worshiping this queen of heaven. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the men were kind of going along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like blatant idolatry. It says that they were also doing that when they were in Judah. And good things were happening, but they attributed them to that, mm-hmm. not to who actually was responsible for the good things happening, which was God. Right. Um, in spite of the fact that they were worshiping these idols as well. God was still, but they were thinking it was because they were worshiping the idols, which mm-hmm. is, yeah, which is why we can't, why we can't look at the, the situation we're in and say, oh, this is caused by God, or this is caused by this, because you don't really know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I thought it was funny that it, in, where, where is it? There, there's a, there's a place where it says they were making cakes bearing her image. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so, like, little gingerbread women or something? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought that was, like, a fairly modern thing, but right. I guess the cookie-cutter thing was maybe, you know... A long time. A long time ago. <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was funny. Um, uh, so, it, it's just open and brazen rebellion against God. Basically, instead of what they were doing before, which was saying, oh, whatever God says, that's what we're going to do. Now they're just saying... Uh, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. We're not. They're not even like. They're not even hiding it. They're not even s- pretending to obey God. Right. Um, by saying, "Oh, well, it's not really from God." They're basically saying, "Whatever God says to do, we're not doing that." Mm-hmm. And um, so God brings disaster. And uh, I, I noticed um, in um, he says uh, in verse twenty-seven for disaster and not for good. Yeah. Where in first in chapter twenty nine verse eleven he said, "For good and not disaster." Mm-hmm. And so this is an actual flipping around of the blessing that they have in 
chapter 29 when it starts to talk about the good things that God has planned for them. Now it's it's completely the opposite. It's not for good and not disaster. It's for disaster and not for good. Yeah. And so I thought that was interesting too. And not to get on off topic at all, but it does it, it reminds me of the child that throws the tantrum and mom turns around and says, Oh, you obviously need attention. Well, this will get you a negative attention. Right. You know, and so God is is overlooking us to either give us blessings, the good attention, so mm-hmm. to speak, or cursings, the negative attention. And I, I I do see that, you know, over and over that I mean, as a parent, reading that and and thinking in terms of trying to be more godlike and there there's never an instance where we're not paying attention and giving them what what is necessary. Mm-hmm. But what is necessary is going to depend on their actions. And so anyway, that just that stands out to me, um, just, you know, personal season of life kind of thing, I guess. So, sorry, I didn't mean to drop no, you off. No, Go that, ahead. That, I was done. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Elizabeth, did, what uh, nuggets did you pick up from 44? Or, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, 44. Yeah, 44. Sorry. Um, I just thought it was really interesting with this idolatry. It was driven by the women. Because mm-hmm. usually when we think of, like, idolatry and who's supposed to be the leaders in the home, it's always the men. And if they're worshiping idols, it's the husband's fault because he's failing to be a good leader. And we see a different kind of failure on the men's part because they're not necessarily leading their wives astray. Mm-hmm. They're being led by their wives, which is a reversal of you know how it's supposed to be. So not only are they failing to be godly leaders, but they're just letting their wives run wild and be like, no, nah, Jeremiah, we don't want to do that. We're having fun here, yeah. making our little cakes with her image on it, which is just, I, I really, <laughs> that one got me too. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it's just well, crazy. and that's, I mean, and this is a hobby horse of mine, and I'll try not to beat it too harshly, but I, it frustrates me to no end, and this is an example of it, where women, where we know what we're doing, and we're okay to do that. But as soon as we get called out, well, I mean, my husband owned it. Oh, please. Yeah. Own it. Like, you were the one heading this up. Like, anyway. And so that... It's Adam and Eve. Yes. I mean, look. He blames her. She blames him. Yes. <laughs> and, I mean, but to your point, yes. And that, and I do feel like that is on purpose of, what are you doing, man? Put your pants on. Like, rule your house well. You know, this should not have been... Why Why is there a cake on your table with the Queen of Heaven's image? Mm-mm. Why? You know? But then as soon as it's called out, well, I mean, my husband gave me permission. Oh, please. Look, you know. You know. And anyway, so like I said, I don't want to beat that horse down. But I just, I do get irritated with that because, I mean, we know... Uh, God has, you know, blessed many of us with a functioning brain. And so for us to act like we just don't have one, I mean, anyway, yeah. like own up. When yeah. we mess up, we need to own it. Um, but, and Sherry, your point about, you know, now to the point, there is a part of me that says, well, I mean, at least we're to some degree honest of like, no, I'm not doing what God has said. <laughs> you know, there's, you know, but sadly... You know how pitiful it is that, like you're you're very brazen about mm-hmm. it. You know you just you're gonna do it and turn your back mm-hmm. all the way on God. 
Okay, uh, anything else from 44 before we fly through 45? Okay, I'm going to read 45. Uh, oh, I said that. I did not mean to say that. Sherry, I'm going to have her read 45, and then uh, we'll go through that. Go ahead, Sherry. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch. You said, Woe is me, for the Lord has added to my pain. I am weary with my groanings, and I find no rest. Thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built, I am breaking down, and what I have planted, I am plucking up. That is, the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But I will give you your life as a prize of war in all places to which you may go. Okay, thank you. I talk real big about, you know, like, I'm going to do the shorter whatever. But mm. <laughs> Sherry's my homegirl. Um, okay, no, uh, so Sherry, I am going to lean on you. I'm going to go through, you know, the short narrative here, but then lean on you as to pulling back what you were saying um, of purpose and as far as the structure um here being maybe why this is placed here um in the book uh, as far as the timeline of, of where things are placed or whatever um but we get sort of this what feels like an excerpt or i mean a you know kind of a out of context sort of section um where jeremiah is given a word to baruch and um it's sort of in the midst of all this um, frustration and all this uh, disappointment, you have God blessing Baruch and saying, you, however, for uh, what you've done for me and your service uh, for me will be given your life as a prize. Um, so my question is, um, okay, where he says in verse four, let me back up, sorry where he says, uh, thus, I, what I have built, I will break down. What I have planted, I will pluck up. That is the whole land. So, in other words, here is my judgment on the people. However, you are an exception to the rule. So, I see this is, you know, not only, I mean, obviously, specifically to Baruch, but it causes me to think also of the hope that that would offer the remnant, the those who are, faithful to God in heart and um, and are still clinging to it, although we're not, you know, we're not focused on them right now uh, in this this section. So anyway, that, that was my takeaway from it. So Elizabeth and then Sherry. Where you got, Elizabeth? Yeah, I didn't really have anything different. I know it's um, definitely understandable that Baruch was doing a hard thing. He was writing down the words of Jeremiah, and it was going to people who didn't want to listen. Mm -hmm. So I can I can see how he would feel trapped or stuck or just that his work was futile, and how this is almost God encouraging him, saying, "Hey, this has a purpose, and I you know I see you, I see the struggle, and I'm I'm here for you, and that it's gonna turn out well for Baruch." Yeah. Um, but oh what was the um but there's also this like gentle reminder of this isn't for your glory mm -hmm. it's for my glory so when he talks about um 
telling Baruch not to seek great things for himself. Mm -hmm. Like this project that he's undertaking isn't going to bring him fame or glory. Everyone's going to hate him. Mm -hmm. But it's still Mm -hmm. important that God's word gets to where it needs to go. Very good point. Sherry? Yeah. So um, to that point, I think when God says, um, uh, God says, he, he actually quotes Baruch, Woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groanings, and I find no rest. And then God says, What I have built, I am breaking down, and what I have planted, I am plucking up. That is the whole land. So I think in a sense God is saying, You think you got it bad? Right. I'm the one that planted this. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that started this, and now I'm having to tear it down. How do you think I feel? Mm-hmm. Like you feel bad about this, right? What do you think that? What do you think it makes me feel like? Yeah. Um, and so this isn't about you. This is about me. Mm-hmm. And and I want you to see. I want you to see how this is making me feel. Mm-hmm. Because you did all this work and wrote all this stuff down, and then he threw it in the fire. How does that make me feel? When I've done all this work to build Israel up and to do all these great things for my people, and now I'm having to tear it down. Yeah. So it's all up in smoke. Mm-hmm. And same thing that I'm feeling. Right. Um, and so um, to your, your uh, point about uh, mentioning about why this is here and then the structure of it. Um, um, so this... Chapter 45, I feel like there's a, there's, so the book of Jeremiah is, is one big, you know, structure, chiastic structure. And then within that, there are smaller sections. And then within that, there are even smaller sections like chapters and maybe even, you know, groups of verses. But so I think, I think this is uh, chapter 36 to 45 mm-hmm. is a section mm-hmm. and it's defined by it's it's um, defined by Baruch writing down the scroll, and then it ends with God um, uh, commending him for that and saying, you know, you've you've gotten your life as plunder, mm-hmm. which he says several times in the book right. about about uh, other people. Right. Uh, I think he said the same thing about um, Ebed Melek. Mm-hmm. Um, that he would get his life as plunder and, and a couple other uh, places. And so, um, but, but so, and then, so there's those two, those are like the bookends. And then in the middle, um, it's uh, the fall of Jerusalem. It's in the middle of, the, of that whole dissertation, chapter 36 through chapter uh, 45. And so in the middle is the fall of Jerusalem. So the, the center of a chiastic structure is the important thing mm-hmm. that it's pointing towards. Sort of like the climax. Right. Um, and then, and then, and, and if you, if you read it, if you read starting with chapter, if you read it in sections, starting with chapter 36 and going to 45, and then there are other, there are other sections in the book of Jeremiah. You can see that you can see the same thing happening. Uh, a, a here and A here and B here and B here and then C and then C and then D in the middle. Right. And um, and so um, so when I saw that this chapter, I thought, okay, well that's 
why is that there? Well, it's because that's the way it's structured. Mm -hmm. It's not because they just threw it in there. Yeah. Uh, kind of like reminds me of um, um, uh, when we read through the book of Genesis and we're reading the story of Joseph, and then there's this chapter about Judah, mm -hmm. right in the big fat middle. Yeah. Well, it's because it, it's important to the story mm -hmm. that it be there. It's not like well, they just stuck that in there because it seems like, well, sidebar, you know, there's this going on. It's actually because it's part of the story. It's because the story isn't just about Joseph. Right. It's, it's about Judah as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so there's a reason why it's there. It's not just like haphazardly thrown in there. Yeah. And so, um, I thought that about this too. It just seems like it's completely out of place because now we're going back to the fourth year we're talking about right. them being in Egypt. Now we're going back to the fourth year of Jehoiakim, which was, which was the beginning of the whole thing. Which I feel like that is a key. Uh, I feel like that's a key anchor that will help me when I'm going back through. I'm I'm going through and rereading again, like starting at the beginning of Jeremiah, and you know, like I say, just trying to pick up on more more things. Um, and this, you know, like you had pointed out the. Um, the sword, famine, and pestilence. And obviously that's a very easy thing to, okay, yep, over and over and over. Um, structure stuff, I feel like, is another level of difficulty right. to be able to pick up on. But I think that is a key thing that I have, in, to some degree, been picking up on. Okay, now we're, it's like we've we've ended a portion. And the only right reason I know we've ended is not because of, chapters like Baruch, but the following chapters where he says, okay, now let's zip over. You know, it's like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa we reversed. Yeah. So that must have been a structure there. Mm -hmm. But I'd have to think about, okay, well, how far back does that go? And what all, right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like that will take yeah. me more time mm -hmm. to develop. But that is very helpful, and I appreciate mm -hmm. you bringing that out because to me that helps that mm -hmm. on this next read-through jump out a little quicker at me, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to pick that stuff up. So, okay, thank you. appreciate you taking time to elaborate on that. Okay, I will volunteer as tribute and read 46 for us. Okay, the word of the Lord, which came to Jeremiah the prophet against the nations, against Egypt, concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates in Carchemish, and which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Order the buckler and shield and draw near to battle. Harness the horses and mount up, you horsemen. Stand forth with your helmets. Polish the spears. Put on the armor. Why have I seen them dismayed and turned back? Their mighty ones are beaten down. They have speedily fled and did not look back. For fear was all around, says the Lord. Do not let the swift flee away, nor the mighty man escape. They will stumble and fall toward the north by the river Euphrates. Who is, who is this coming up like a flood? whose waters move like the rivers. Egypt rises up like a flood, and its waters move like the rivers. And he says, I will go up and cover the earth. I will destroy the city and its inhabitants. Come up, O horses, and rage, O chariots, and let the mighty men come forth, the Ethiopians and the Libyans who handle the shield, and the Lydians who handle and bend the bow, for this is the day of the Lord, God of hosts. A day of vengeance that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. The sword shall devour, it shall be satiated, satiated and made drunk with their blood. 
For the Lord God of hosts has a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. Go up to Gilead and make and take balm, O virgin, the daughter of Egypt. In vain you will use many medicines. You shall not be cured. The nations have heard your shame, and your cry has filled the land. For the mighty man has stumbled against the mighty. They both have fallen together. The word that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah the prophet, how Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, would come and strike the land of Egypt. Declare in Egypt and proclaim in Migdal, proclaim in Memphis and in Tapanes. Say, stand fast. I'm sorry. Yes, say, stand fast and prepare yourselves for the sword devours all around you. Why are your valiant men swept away? They did not stand because the Lord drove them away. He made them fall. Yes, one fell upon another. And they said, Arise, let us go back to our own people and to the land of our nativity. From the oppressing sword they cried there, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is but a noise. He has passed by the appointed time. As I live, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts, surely as Tabor is among the mountains and as Carmel is by the sea, so shall he come. O you, daughter dwelling in Egypt, prepare yourself to go into captivity, for Memphis shall be waste and desolate without inhabitant. Egypt is a very pretty heifer, but destruction comes. It comes from the north. Also her mercenaries are in her midst like fat bulls, for they also are turned back. They have fled away together. They did not stand, for the day of their calamity had come upon them, the time of their punishment. Her noise shall go like a serpent, for they shall march with an army and come against her with axes, like those who chop wood. They shall cut down her forest, says the Lord, though it cannot be searched. Because they are innumerable and more numerous than grasshoppers, the daughter of Egypt shall be ashamed. She shall be delivered into the hand of the people of the north. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, Behold, I will bring punishment on Ammon, excuse me, of No, and Pharaoh and Egypt with their gods and their kings, Pharaoh and those who trust in him. And I will deliver them into the hands of hand of those who seek their lives into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of his servants. Afterward, it shall be inhabited as in the old days of old, says the Lord. But do not fear, O my servant Jacob, and do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar, and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be at ease." No one shall make him afraid. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, says the Lord, for I am with you, for I will make you a complete end of the, all nations to which I have driven you. But I will not make a complete end of you. I will rightly correct you, for I will not leave you wholly unpunished. Okay, so uh, Elizabeth, would you mind walking through the narrative for... Oh, I... I can't remember what no, we got. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to <laughs> keep out my head, but it's a little too fuzzy yeah. today. All right. Okay. Somebody go. <laughs> all right. So this chapter is all about the the judgment on Egypt, obviously. Um, so I thought it was kind of interesting how it starts concerning uh, Nico and mm -hmm. talking about Carchemish. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of 
the way I see it, there's kind of three phases of the judgment on Egypt. Mm -hmm. So phase one is their destruction at Carchemish. Or that's kind of how I understood this, where they've gone up to war, they're ready, they've got all their horsemen, they've got their warriors, they got all that, but they're going to be destroyed there. Mm-hmm. And I think this is important because it's the end of like the Egyptian empire, the end of them being a world power, mm-hmm. and the transition towards Babylon having control mm-hmm. of the Near East. Right. So... Um, there's lots of just really interesting imagery in there, and I thought especially talking about the different like <clears throat> nationalities of people mm-hmm. that were within the Egyptian army just kind of shows the extent of their empire at the mm-hmm. time. But by the end of the section, that's all kind of mm-hmm. crumbled apart. Right. And then the next section is specifically when Nebuchadnezzar is going to go against the land of Egypt. So this isn't some random city in the in Mesopotamia. This is right there at home where Nebuchadnezzar is like straight up invading Egypt. Mm-hmm. And it mentions all those cities, Migdal, Memphis, Tophanes, where the Israelites are staying. So I took this to mean this is the judgment this is the destruction of Egypt that's gonna wipe out that remnant that wasn't supposed to be in Egypt. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. talking about how you know, the mighty ones are going to fall, and just Egypt, the actual land of Egypt, is going to get destroyed from the north. It's got that same imagery of, like, the enemy from the north, and really just emphasizes that, you know, all this is going to happen to Egypt to punish these specific uh, Israelites who shouldn't have been going down there. Mm-hmm. Very reminiscent to me of Exodus, where, you know, they've got... You know, you've got the plagues, and then mm-hmm. there's the differentiation. Like this mm-hmm. is specifically for you, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. feels that way. But for Israel this time, right. this is specifically for you. You yeah. know, they're kind of getting the flip side of what happened. Right, mm-hmm. a thousand, hundreds, thousands of years earlier. I'm mm-hmm. not sure about timeline. Anyways, mm-hmm. yeah. And then there's this last little bit, um, which is directed a little bit more towards Jacob, towards mm-hmm. the people of Judah who were down there. And it's talking about that, just reminding them that a remnant would be saved. But the way I understood this, this wasn't the remnant that was in Egypt. Because he's right. already said, if you go to Egypt, you're not coming back. You're going right. to get wiped out. Right. So it's this hope that you're not the only people who could hypothetically go back and take Jerusalem back to take the homeland back, but it's also not going to be you. Mm -hmm. So um, even within that kind of gloomy message for them, uh, Jeremiah emphasizes God's perfect judgment and how they're going to be punished, but there is going to be that remnant because God will deal out the perfect measure of justice. Mm-hmm. I, that's the part that I, I I think is so beautiful. I mean, the whole thing, which, sidebar, I mean, I, the poetry of utter destruction is amazingly beautiful. For I mean, for it to be destruction, I'm just like, this is just beautifully written. And I think, I want to say, was it Kelly that made the point, Sherry, in our book club the other day of, you know, if only we could read in Hebrew to see, you know, like it's beautiful in English. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine, you know, getting the full effect of, mm-hmm. wow. I mean, yeah. for you to 
make a beautiful song or poem about like the utter destruction that's kind of incredible um but to your point elizabeth on um the perfect measurement of judgment i love you know the last verse there where he says uh, but i will not make a complete end of you i will rightly correct you for i will not leave you wholly unpunished and i mean just that perfection of the the right amount the mm-hmm. just amount you know um right. to bring you back to make yeah. things whole yeah. so the, sherry the esv says i will discipline you in just measure right so yeah it's like that just perfect amount mm-hmm. uh, measured not just to- tossed in there yeah um uh yeah um i i don't have a whole lot to add to to what you've said um um I agree with Elizabeth that that those are those are three sections talking about Carchemish, then talking about um, uh, Egypt itself, uh, and particularly the areas um, that the Jews had fled to, those parts on the eastern side of. Um, here I am waving my hands, and so no one can see me. <laughs> um, on the eastern eastern side, where where the where the the captives had fled to, and uh, uh, the reference to, I think the reference to, in verse 16 and 17, um, where he's talking about, I think, I think, uh, like Elizabeth said, um, people who they hired to, you know, fight. And um, they're saying, uh, let's just go back home. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and then they're calling Pharaoh. I think they're calling him a blowhard. Um, they sa- It says, call the name of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, noisy one who lets yeah. the hour go by. <laughs> right. So I think that's what that means. Yeah. It's like he talks and mm-hmm. that's all he does. Right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, um, uh, I think the king in verse 18 is God, um, whose name is the Lord of hosts, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, his ta- it, it, the mention of Tabor and Carmel by the sea, um, I think is a reference, I, I, I looked this up, I think it's a reference to, uh, so Tabor and Carmel were two mountains that were not in a mountain range. They were just sort okay. of there. And particularly like Carmel was on the seashore. And it was like when they would go on the road that was called the way of the sea, you know, they would travel that way. And they would have to go, then go inland around Mount Carmel because mm-hmm. it was a mountain just right there on the, on the, it was probably a volcano or something. It was a mountain right there on the seashore. And so it was, it was like it sort of rose up there by itself and it hmm. didn't have a mountain range. And Tabor, uh, I think, is the same thing. Um, uh, and so I think that's um, just figurative of um, the Babylonian uh, kingdom or, or Nebuchadnezzar mm-hmm. because it just sort of came out of nowhere. Gotcha. And it, it, it didn't... It didn't seem to. Ha- it just came out of nowhere. It was there, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah, and um, it only lasted for seventy years. So it was like there, and then it was gone. 
And I think that uh, may be what he's talking about there in uh, verse 18, I think. Yeah, verse 18, Tabor and Carmel. Um, I don't think I realize that. So I, I have, you know, obviously we've got all the passages about you will be there 70 years. Mm-hmm. And then, but I don't, I've not put together. So they were only like a world power for that amount of for time. For 70 years, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is shocking. I mean, because you think about at the beginning, Daniel and the captives were taken at the beginning mm-hmm. of the captivity, and then they were released at the end when Persia took over. Well, right. the beginning of when they were taken into captivity, Assyria that was, was just being Carchemish. taken over by, right. That was Carchemish. Mm-hmm. So that's the beginning of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And some people think that the 70 years is 70 years when they were in captivity, and some people think it's the 70 years of of Nebuchadnezzar's okay. reign, right. or Babylon's reign, right. but it's actually the same thing. Yeah. Because that, that would, they mark that as the beginning of this is Babylon being a world power. So and then Persia took over 70 years later. So right. it only lasted for 70 years. Yeah, that just hasn't dawned on me until... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm pointing that, yeah. Okay. Wow. I mean, just, and I say all that only because I just think through the, you know, world powers that we've, like, I've studied through with the kids and whatever, like Egypt and different ones. And, you know, it's like, you know, here's their their heyday. And it it's usually longer than, I mean, it's like <laughs> right. more than 100 years, you know, than easy. Um, but, wow, 70 years and then done. Okay. That's interesting. Okay, um, all right, so we've got to zip through 47, and uh, Sherry, I will pick mm-hmm. on you since you got the shortest one. Since I got the shortest one, I think. So. All right, um, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Thus says the Lord, Behold, the waters are rising out of the north and shall become an overflowing torrent. They shall overflow the land and all that fills it the city and those who dwell in it. Men shall cry out, and every inhabitant of the land shall wail, at the noise of the stamping of the hoofs of his stallions, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of their wheels. The fathers look not back to their children, so feeble are their hands. Because of the day that is coming to destroy all the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon every helper that remains. For the Lord is destroying the Philistines, the remnant of the coastland of Kaphtor, Baldness has come upon Gaza. Ashkelon has perished. O remnant of their valley, how long will you gash yourselves? Ah, sword of the Lord, how long till you are quiet? Put yourself into your scabbard. Rest and be still. How can it be quiet when the Lord has given it a charge? Against Ashkelon and against the seashore, he has appointed it. Okay, thank you. Um, All right, and I feel like we are, I mean, that's, you know, we're only getting through 47, but obviously we're um, in a section now where we're, next time we'll continue on um, judgments on different um, nations. Um, And this, uh, let's see, I guess we started that in 46. Um, So I feel bad for us cutting it off on 47, but let's go through 47 and then we'll... um, continue those judgments next week, Lord willing. So, um, changing gears a little bit um, from looking at Egypt to uh, Philistia. And um, 
again, I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm going to um, defer to both of you uh, because I am not intelligent enough to get as much as I should out of this. <laughs> but um, it seems like a repeat uh, of a different, you know, just the different flavor um, where God is just, that he's going in and um, having his will carried out. Um, I do appreciate, again, the last verse of it, rest and be still. How can it be quiet, seeing that it's been given a charge against Ashkelon? Um, and I do, I did want to ask about this because I don't know, I, I didn't have time to look up Ashkelon, and that was not one that was familiar to me. So I would appreciate some light being shed on that. So I'll let the more intellectual of the bunch speak <laughs> for our remainder eight minutes. So don't speak too long. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, so I, I can't speak to Ashkelon. I'm not familiar with that one either. Um, I also don't really know what the role of the Philistines was in the just a global conflict between Egypt and Babylon with Israel getting kind of caught in the middle. Mm-hmm. But I do know that historically the Israelites struggled with the Philistines a lot. Like that was... When they entered the land of Canaan, they were supposed to wipe everyone out, and they didn't do that, so that led to a lot of other problems down the road. And so specifically, we see with, like, David, their fight, like David and Goliath, it's the Philistines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get further on, and when they lose the Ark of the Covenant, it's to the Philistines, because, mm-hmm. you know, they think that's going to help them, and it doesn't. But the Philistines have just been... Uh, just a persistent enemy. I was trying to find a good analogy, but I don't want to waste time with mm-hmm. verbal flourishes. But <laughs> regardless, this is kind of a long time coming for the Philistines that they've just kind of been allowed to, mm-hmm. you know, vibe and bother the Israelites and at times punish them for their own, uh, punish the Israelites for their failures. But I think this is just a continuation of we see God has used foreign sinful nations Mm -hmm. to accomplish his purposes to punish his people when they need to get knocked down a peg but that's not going to go unpunished that the the guilty that the sinful are always going to get justice yeah so real quick um sherry just a couple of questions to throw out there Mm -hmm. and thoughts um so i know like we've got tyre and sidon on the coast Mm -hmm. of you know what we think of as canaan um, land and it, it says, I mean, in the intro here, um, before Pharaoh attacked Gaza, um, so that is one making me wonder about timeline on this, on when this is, you know, mm-hmm. being, mm-hmm. you know, said to be prophesied or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then also just thinking through, you know, when they first came to the land and they did not get everyone out, mm-hmm. and I do, my impression is that a lot of those people were Philistine people, mm-hmm. um, you know, along with right. what would generally be umbrellaed as the Canaanite people, mm-hmm. um, but a wild bunch uh, that needed to be scooted out, and they didn't do a thorough job of that. So, anyway, what are your thoughts on um, 47? Okay, um, well, first, it, it, he doesn't mention all of them in this chapter, but there are generally five cities in Philistia. Gaza, mm-hmm. Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, 
and Ekron. Okay. Those are the five cities. And a lot of times, all those are mentioned when it's talking about the Philistines. A lot of times, only four of them are mentioned because apparently Gath didn't last very long. And so later in the history, Gath is kind of left out because it's not really a thing anymore. Of course, we remember Gath because that's where Goliath was from. Right. Um, But if you look at, like, um, in 1 Samuel, when the ark was taken, it went to the different cities and it mentions all those cities. and so when he's talking about, when he, when he mentions the cities in Philistia, he's talking about like the whole place, but basically these cities that are named. And they're kind of scattered along the, along the coast. Like uh, uh, Ekron is up higher or farther north and Gaza and Gath are kind of down farther south. But it's kind of like that whole coastal area. Um, and I think when he's talking about um, uh, when he's talking about the um, uh, the Pharaoh coming through and and um, my Bible's messing up here and and um, and conquering those places. He may be talking about when Pharaoh came through there initially before they were defeated at Carchemish. Um, because I think, yeah, or or when he was on his way back. I don't know. when he, I think when he was on his way back, um, remember that he killed um, Josiah on the way up there. Right. And then on the way back, he put in another king. Yeah. Um, which was Jehoiakim. And... Right. Um, and then, because Jehoiakim originally was an Egyptian king, right? Um, well, he was he was Jewish, but he was put in by Egypt. Um, but maybe when he was coming back through, he also conquered some of those areas because when he was on his way up to Carchemish and on his way back, I think he was trying to secure that whole area as okay. Egyptian territory, and so that might have been that might be where that comes yeah. from. Okay, that that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. You, you ladies did amazingly. We have two minutes to spare. I don't know if this ever happened, so well done. I always think, not always, but when I look at the passage and go, we're going to zip through, uh, we always get within two minutes. So <laughs> I better stop saying that. Thank you all so much. I appreciate it and look forward to next week.